0: Well, as you probably know, many years ago, dying children with dangerous communicable diseases had to be separated from other people, even from their own fathers and mothers. You can only imagine how difficult that must have been for a loving parent to do. For instance, I read a story this week about a mother of a terminally ill boy whose pain and suffering was excruciating. And therefore, the physician sternly warned them he said, Don't get too close to your young son, lest you contract the fatal disease. But you know, a mother's love can be very strong very strong and the agonizing cries for consolation were too much for her to turn her back upon or to turn a deaf ear to in his hour of greatest need her love compelled her to go to her son and to be near him and with him in the closing hours of his life and shortly thereafter the mother contracted the disease And then she joined her son in death and the grave. In our text passage this morning, Christ's mother Mary disregarded the risks and the dangers of drawing near to Jesus in his hour of greatest need in order to stand by him at the cross as death approached. And don't think for a moment there wasn't danger in being near Jesus, the crucified one. Why else do you think none of the disciples were there? They were afraid for their lives to even be associated with him, right? In our text passage this morning... Mary clearly looked past the risk, the danger, of drawing near to Jesus in his hour of greatest need. So the message title and theme of our text passage is The Love of a Mother and Her Son. Two main points, Mary's love for Jesus and Christ's love for his mother sermon outline is printed in the bulletin there on the right-hand side. Take a look at it with me as I read it. First in verse 25, Mary's love for Jesus was evident by her remaining close to him while he suffered. And then second, in verses 26 and 7, Christ's love for his mother was demonstrated by providing for her future care amidst or despite his sufferings again the first point taken from verse 25 is this Mary's love for Jesus was evident by her remaining close to him while he suffered look at 25 again now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, four women, right? Now, as we look at this, we realize that Jesus at this time was in agony, he was fatally wounded. He's only a couple hours away from Death Valley, right? And standing close to him at great risk were some people, not the disciples, but some women, four women, his mother Mary, his mother's sister, who is Salome, who is not named in the passage, and two other Marys, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. John The author of this gospel who identifies himself in verse 26 as the disciple whom Jesus loved is also with this little band of faithful women standing by the cross. So you've got four women and one man. Apparently, Mary's husband Joseph was dead at this point in time. Of course, the reason why Jesus was being crucified was because he had made a claim. He had claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And this was the cause of all his troubles, his arrest, his scourging, his crucifixion. And therefore, when the time of Christ's persecution and suffering came, most of the disciples fled from his presence, for fear that they would be identified with him as his followers. But a few, a few remained nearby. A few remained close to him while he suffered. And from the gospel accounts it appears that only one man, John, the beloved disciple. None of the others were there except John and Mary and a few other women. Of course, Mary knew that there was nothing she could do to save him. He was irrecoverable at this point. But as a loving mother, she felt compelled to what? To be near him while he suffered. What an unimaginably difficult situation for a mother to experience. As his human mother, Mary felt every human emotion that every mother feels towards her son. And on this sad occasion, she witnessed her abused, brutalized son nailed to a wooden cross and crucified. Perhaps you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. It depicted the physical agonies that Jesus endured in his beatings, scourging, and crucifixion. And it was very, very graphic. However, something was notably absent, which was the greater suffering that Christ experienced which was unseen by human eyes and which cannot be depicted by a movie. Because that which Christ suffered, in addition to the outward visible strokes from the hands of the soldiers, was the inward invisible strokes of divine justice from the hand of God himself. We quoted from Isaiah very recently, remember? Messiah was smitten, by God and afflicted by God, and the Lord Himself laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. What could never be captured in a movie is the reality of God Almighty unleashing His. his righteous indignation against sin and pouring it all out to the last drop, as it were, upon his Son. That's the gospel. And by the way, that's the gospel that we're hearing a lot less about in the world around us and in many churches. Because you see, the gospel is that Christ suffered judicially at the hands of God the Father. Because divine justice required divine punishment in order to be appeased and in order to be satisfied. Yes, Christ suffered at the hands of men. He did, terribly. But the agony... During the darkness of Calvary had to do with what he suffered as our substitute as the Father was pouring out upon him the punishment that we deserved. And as he hung on the cross with his life blood draining from his body, perhaps Mary remembered Isaiah's prophecy that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. So as Mary beheld Christ suffering and dying, she must have experienced a strange mix of emotions. She knew that the scene was awful and her son's suffering was extreme and excruciating. But her faith perceived his suffering as fulfilling God's will and prophetic utterance and accomplishing salvation for sinners. And surely Mary remembered Simeon's prophecy concerning Jesus. You remember when she and Joseph had brought Jesus into the temple shortly after he was born? And you recall in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, that in the temple after Simon took baby Jesus into his arms and he blessed the Lord for allowing his eyes to see God's salvation before he died. He then turned to Mary and he directed these words, these sobering words to her. He said, Mary, behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So from Christ's infancy, Mary knew that hard times were ahead for him and that the mission God called him to fulfill would result in grief and heartache, not only for him, but also for her. Concerning Mary standing by the cross, Matthew Henry wrote this, Christ's torments were Mary's tortures. She was upon the rack while he was upon the cross, and her heart bled, with his wounds. Mary's love for Jesus was evident by her remaining close to him while he suffered. Well, I think we have several applications we can make here. The first one is this, for mothers, stand by your children and support them when they suffer for the sake of righteousness and the gospel. You might be thinking, well, come on, Pat. Is that really going to happen to my children? Again, the application is this. Stand by your children and support them when they suffer for the sake of righteousness and the gospel. As I look at the the conditions around the world today, and you, you see it too, don't you? You know the world we live in. Is no friend to grace and becoming increasingly hostile and opposed to the Christian gospel. As I look at those conditions in the world today, I can't help but think that some of our children will pay a much higher price to be faithful and to do the will of God than we have done. Hmm? Surely that's a real possibility. Our children are growing up in a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel, and the Calvary Road is a path that includes suffering, self-denial, and cross-bearing. And that's why Paul, you remember, he said to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's what's been granted to you, Christian, on behalf of Christ. Not only to believe in him, that's wonderful, but also to suffer for his sake. Oh, some people say, I don't know if I like that Christianity. Maybe I, I like the front part of that, not the back part. I like the first part, not the second part. And that's why Jesus taught his disciples to expect persecution, to expect suffering for the sake of the gospel and righteousness. You remember in his most famous sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You say, well, Pat, that was just for the twelve. That was just for the apostles. No, that trickles down to every follower of the Lamb every faithful follower of the Lamb. Mothers, stand by your children and support them when they suffer for the sake of righteousness and the gospel. Mary did, and you may have to as well. The second application is this, and this is kind of for both fathers and mothers. Be willing to put your children at risk for the sake of the gospel. Again, be willing to put your children at risk for the sake of the gospel. By nature, we, we tend to do what we can to what? To protect our children from harm. And that's normal and natural. Uh, all, all you parents who are here, you know that's a normal and natural thing to want to protect your children from harm. However, let's understand something about our mission as a Christian parent, as a Christian father or mother. Our job isn't to isolate and to insulate our children from every potential avenue of difficulty or harm or from every form of persecution and suffering. On the contrary, our mission is to prepare them for what? For battle. Because they're going to be in one. Count on it. And it may be more intense than the battle that you and I have been in. Furthermore, all this exposure to truth, Christian education, and preaching may lead one of your children to do something really hard and difficult that will result in persecution and suffering. Will you be willing to let them go if that time Comes. Will you be willing to put your children at risk for the sake of the gospel? President Theodore Roosevelt once said, There has never been a man in our history who led a life of ease whose name is worthy of remembering. Hmm. You know, I was thinking just yesterday about the kind of mother that the martyred missionary Jim Elliot must have had. I've actually had that thought a number of times. What kind of a woman was she? Wow. Back in the 1950's, Elliot was a godly young man with a young family who targeted a remote region in Ecuador where the savage Aka Indians lived. And sensing God's call to go and reach them, Eliot and his companions put their lives at risk for the sake of the gospel. And all five of them, you might remember, were savagely murdered in the attempt. You might think, what a waste of life. But consider this. For over half a century since their death, the work of world missions has been fueled by Elliot and his companions' memorable words concerning the risk of doing what God had called them to do when Eliot said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, meaning his life, to gain what he cannot lose. Our own Miriam Gibb is one such person who was inspired by Jim Elliot and has been ministering to the Aka Indians in Ecuador for the past 45 years. Did you know that? Mothers, will you be willing to put your children at risk for the sake of the gospel? Perhaps an even better question is this. will Will your grown children be willing to put themselves at risk for the gospel? Will the result of your childbearing be that your sons and daughters will view their lives as expendable for the cause of God and truth? I trust the adults who are here who are Christian, you would say, wouldn't you, that you would consider your life expendable for the sake of the gospel and for the cause of God and truth if God required that of you? I think this is one of the most important things we could ever teach our children, to view their lives as expendable for the sake of the gospel. Let me illustrate from history. The worst maritime disaster in Canadian history occurred on May 29, 1914, when the ocean liner empress was steaming on the St. Lawrence River, was struck by a Norwegian coal freighter claiming over 1,000 lives. On board were 130 Salvation Army officers. 109 of them drowned. But not one body that was later recovered had on a life jacket. Not one the few survivors of that tragic incident told how the Salvation Army officers discovered that there weren't enough life jackets for everyone on board. Boy, that happened. So they frantically interviewed the ship's passengers asking, are you a Christian? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? They were trying to find out, are you saved? And when they found one who wasn't, they took off their own life preserver, strapped it onto the other person, and, of course, they consequently drowned. 109 of 130 of those Salvation Army officers I think from the deck of that boat as it was sinking there there went up a cry from the men who were in the Salvation Army who'd given their life preserver to someone else and in unison they said others 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 Hmm. I dare say that those 109 men mostly young were raised by mothers who taught them to be willing to put themselves at risk for the gospel so mothers is that how you will raise your children is it in their day of trial and testing? Will they live for self and protect themselves or be willing to put themselves at risk even at the expense of their own lives for the sake of the gospel? Perhaps the greatest need in the church today is for Christian mothers to instill in their sons and daughters the self-sacrificing spirit and courage of the young man who said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose Well, we've spent the majority of our time considering Mary's love for her son let's briefly turn our attention to the second part of the text namely Christ's love for his mother verses 26 and 7 The second point is this. Christ's love for his mother was demonstrated by providing for her future care amidst his sufferings. Verse 26, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her his own home. Now the remarkable thing I want you to see here is that at the height, the very height of his agony and suffering, Christ took notice of his mother and made provision for her future care and support. Matthew Henry comments on it this way, Christ was not so much taken up with a sense of his own sufferings, As to forget his mother, whose concerns he bore upon his heart, his mother, perhaps, was so taken up with his sufferings that she didn't think of what would become of herself, but Jesus did, end quote. Even amidst his most excruciating pain, our Lord wasn't preoccupied with his own troubles, but others were on his mind. Others were on his mind. Mary, his beloved mother, was his first priority. In the spirit of honoring father and mother, he took time to communicate with John concerning his mother's future care. And did you notice how few words that required in verse 27? Jesus said to John, Behold your mother. Ooh. In other words, John, you are now to regard my mother as your own mother. Hmm. Which obviously he did because the end of verse 27 says, and from that hour, that disciple, referring to John, took her to his own home. Christ's love for his mother was demonstrated by providing for her future care Despite Christ's sufferings. Think of it this way by way of application. If amidst his worst sufferings on the cross, Jesus made provision for those whom he loved, then how much more is he making provision for those whom he loves right now in glory where there is no pain and suffering? Do you get that? Hang on that for a minute. Listen if amidst his worst sufferings on the cross, Jesus was making provision for those whom he loved, like his mother, then how much more is he making provision for those whom he loves right now, in glory, where there's no pain and there's no suffering? Our great high priest is no longer distracted with any worldly cares or grief, but now, at the right hand of the Majesty on high, he is entirely focused, entirely focused, upon the care and the provision of his people. In fact, his love for you is as great as it was for Mary. Did you get that? Christ's love for you It's as great as it was for Mary. And he is equally concerned for your welfare and provision as for hers. Perhaps you remember the incident in Mark 3 when Christ's brothers and mother came to see him. He was teaching a multitude of people in someone's home, presumably a large one, and they were thronging around him. And as his mother and brother came to uh, see him, uh, someone said, Jesus, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And do you remember how Jesus replied to that? He said, Who is my mother? Or my brothers? And he looked around at those who sat around him and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. That was Christ's way of saying that a person enters into a relationship with him by faith. Because that's the will of God, to believe in him whom he sent. In other words, Christ taught that you enter in to his family and become related to him as a family member by faith, spiritually, not by blood, physically. What a rebuke that must have been to his own brothers who didn't yet believe in him as Messiah. Jesus told the crowd that their relationship to him by faith was the critical issue And that he was equally, if not more, concerned for them as members of his body than for those who were his own flesh and blood brothers and sisters and mothers. So, verse 27 is not surprising when Jesus made provision for his mother Mary by appointing someone besides his own blood brothers to be her guardian. What an honor for John to have the privilege of caring for Mary, Christ's mother, after his death. Perhaps you have or will experience a similar kind of honor when someone asks you to care for their children in the event of their untimely death. That is a great honor, a great honor, to have parents of another child, or children ask you to care for and provide for them should they die." And by way of application, parents, if you haven't already made that provision for your children, then I'd exhort you to do so soon. Accidents happen, serious illnesses happen, and you don't know what a day may bring forth. And unless you legally settle the matter of your children's guardianship beforehand, then guess what? The state will step in and they will make that decision for you. And I trust you'd prefer to make it yourself. Christ's love for his mother was demonstrated by his provision for her future care and welfare. In a similar way, Making future provision for your loved ones is an expression of your love for them. Another closely related application is this the guardian that you choose to care for your family members does not have to be an immediate family relative. You can choose someone apart from your immediate family, right? Jesus did. Jesus did. In fact, the best choice may be someone unrelated to you, outside of your immediate family. John, not Christ's own brothers, was our Lord's choice to be guardian for his mother after his death. And therefore, the guardian that you choose to care for your family members does not have to be an immediate family member. One last application as we close It arises from these verses. Children ought to provide care for their aging parents. Again, children ought to provide care for their aging parents. I know this is a huge subject, one that's close to home for uh, some of you, but it's an important one because in our culture, caring for aging parents has kind of fallen on hard times. Today many children neglect the care and provision of their aging parents. However, Christians ought to be known and distinguished by their care and attention for them. Even when his suffering was the greatest, even when he was on his deathbed, Jesus was concerned for his mother's welfare and so should we be concerned for ours? Now, let's keep Christ central in our thinking as we conclude by comparing Christ's love for his mother, being demonstrated by his provision for her future care amidst his suffering, with the blessedness of Christ's love for us, his children which is demonstrated by providing for our future care throughout all eternity, which he accomplished and secured for us by his perfect, sinless life and by his substitutionary suffering at Calvary on the cross, and ultimately by means of his glorious and powerful resurrection from the dead, on the third day. So let us praise God continually for the love of Jesus Christ for each and every one of his family members whom he will provide for, whom he will care for, not just in this life, but in the life to come throughout all eternity.